given that we have that perspective on video games, I was like, well, that's not the only thing that I have perspective on that isn't goddamn, you know, like, like, like I'm 40. Like, I, I have perspective on shit that someone who's 20 doesn't. There's a whole lot of them. So I'm going to call this whole fucking thing this umbrella of I'm older than you podcasts. Um, it's a subsidiary of Grindhead Podcasts, which is um, I was there is what I'm calling it. And then this this particular series is called Video Games. And I'm happy to be doing this with none other than one of my best friends in the world, Mr. Skeletor Blockbuster. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm fucking fantastic, man. Yourself? Fucking fantastic. I'm doing amazing as well. I am Figure doing amazing I may as well. well start right out of the gate. <laughs> right. right. Hey, start right out of the gate. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Um... Fucking is, is this gonna be classiest podcast ever? No, I don't know. I don't know. Like, don't know. Did, have we ever done a podcast before? Oh, like, <laughs> like con- conceptually, we've done like t- probably twelve, if I'm not mistaken, like close to it. Um, as far as like, uh, how many we've actually recorded, I couldn't tell you, dude. Could not even begin to tell you. Um, Dozens, if not hundreds of hours. Oh my god, <laughs> definitely score, scores, if not hundreds of hours. It's true. That's 100% true. Um, but you'll have that, right? So, as always, guys, Song Quests are on for this live recording. They will not be on the final recording, but knock yourselves out. Um, so, I, I thought it would be appropriate for us to get started. Started. I'm just going to keep with the hard R's, man. It's just too much fun. Um, essentially, we're going to be doing a bunch of these. So for me, like, it's... Let's start by talking about kind of how you and I became friends. Because it's... Although it's not unlikely in concept as far as who we are as people, you're in fucking extreme northeast Canada. And I'm in yeah. Iowa. I don't just bump into you at the store, right? So it just doesn't work that way. So that means I've got to give people a brief history of ThatRule.com. So with that, um, June 2012, uh, I left my job, uh, which was a very cushy job. Um, Had a very distinct conflict of interest with the company, and I was like, I'm out! And we left. And I'm sitting at home going... And I'm sitting on a sizable 401k cash out. I had some money. I knew unemployment was coming, that sort of thing. So I had some time. I had some resources to, to get stuff going. And I had a lot of time to figure out what I wanted to do. So about maybe two weeks into that, maybe that process, I was like, oh. Out of nowhere, I decided, you know what? Nostalgia Critic does some fucking cool shit. Angry Video Game Nerd does some fucking cool shit. I'm going to try my hand at this shit. So I did. Started gathering different things uh, that I would need, some stuff I already had, to start recording reviews for movies for YouTube and Blip. And I slowly, over the course of a few months, kind of slowly built my knowledge base up. And uh, during, I took like a break for about a month where I just suddenly decided one day I needed to have every retro video game ever 
that collection over there was start restarted that summer. So particularly over the July 4th weekend, I got hammered. was like, I need all, all of this shit. All of it. And so I started buying retro games again, and I started playing them and getting back into them and just spending time with myself. It was really cool. But then the bug bit me again to start doing the reviews again because people were like, dude, where's your next thing? So I was like, oh, shit, I, I forgot I was doing that. So <laughs> I start re-editing the stuff, get the stuff up on the site, and uh, Nostalgia Critic in particular, uh, back when they had a form, I don't think they have one anymore, on thatguywiththeglasses.com, there are these threads where you can post your video and get community feedback. So I post up there, and I start getting responses. And I think this is where your part of the story begins. Yeah, um, well, I was uh, in a way inspired by, you know, the uh, angry video game nerd, nostalgia critic as well. But, like, I've also been, you know, like, making videos for fun for my whole life. Right. Um, you know, making music, um, all that sort of stuff. And uh, I'd, I'd been kind of lurking in the that guy with the glasses forums and you know like trying my hand at a a new weird show that i came up with uh called advertainment that um i I don't know it's so weird because like you see all these people like success breeds copycats oh yes and I saw all these people who wanted to be the nostalgia critic or mm-hmm. who wanted to be angry video game nerd. And I'm like, there's so many other cool things that you can be that like I was starting to get frustrated with that scene even before it got big. Right. Um, and I was looking to do something more, something different. You know, mm-hmm. to collaborate with people, to to try and make cool and interesting things. And uh, so I'd just written a post on the forums there, mm-hmm. and I'd gotten some feedback from, like, all these fucking people who didn't understand, like, anything that I was saying or trying to do or trying to explain. And then Jimmy comes along and he's like, hey, I got this website. You should uh, be a producer on it. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. And that's how it started. Yeah. It really was, it was <laughs> something story. where... Yeah, because back then you had a shitload of people trying to make their way on this shit by themselves. And there was maybe, maybe three or four dedicated websites with people doing stuff. Um, and basically you had that guy with the glasses, then you had everybody else. And... For me, it was like, I'm not going to clone that website, but I already have this whole website and only me producing stuff. And the idea was, I need more people coming to this site. Well, what's the easiest way? More content. Well, how do you get more content? More people. So then I went to the forums and I said, who's doing something that I've never seen before? And that's how we got Tom. That's how we got uh, Sam, who Samantha maybe was a complete fluke. I've told that story a million times. She is the, I couldn't make this up. She's the younger sister. No, or is she older? I don't know. She's a sister. They're very close in age. 
to Beard Grizzly, whom we hounded collectively for three or four years to start making videos. He is by, in a way, the most successful person of anyone that's ever touched that rule.com. Like, he's, he is the jam right now. Meanwhile, he was the hardest one to get to pick up the fucking camera. Bastard. I love you, dude. Well, Fuck. I mean, it was so weird because he'd made a, a couple videos not to get on a, a mm. grant, you know, diatribe sure. or whatever. But, like, he had started making a couple videos about the history of video games. Yep. And they blew my mind it with how, so you know, good. like, in-depth and insightful and just how good they were. And but I was like, sucked. hey, we should do a podcast about video games. Yep. And then Jimmy was like, Ooh, I want dude. in. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I heard. <laughs> and then we times. did a podcast for three years. Yeah. And that was pretty fucking cool. It was for sure. It was something where, like, and I've again, I've told the story on other places before. I heard it and I was like, "This is great. I love what is going on here." But there needs to be like, like these guys are sitting around having a great conversation. It's enjoyable, but I'm like, there needs to be an element of danger. It needs to be something more, and I'm like, I'm going to be like this drunken fireball that shows up and to keep these guys talking. And uh, that's the way it worked out. That was always, the, the plan was really just to like give you guys more to talk about, even if it is just shut up, Jimmy. It worked out pretty well. <laughs> and uh, we did that for a couple years, and uh, honestly, Destiny killed that podcast. There's no other way to say it. Destiny really did kill that podcast. Thank you. <laughs> it's the truth. Um, for multiple reasons. Mainly because he and I had so much to say about Destiny, and this was the place that we had to say it. He and I started talking about Destiny on the side with something else we were doing. Um, but the game itself just took over. And right after this, the second attempt at this other Destiny thing happened, which was the Quotidian podcast, which is a great fucking name, by the way. Yep. It's a fucking great name. Uh, he had stopped playing Destiny. By then, the ship with Troy had sailed. He was off doing his thing. He was like, I just need to do, I've got all these other projects I want to do. I'm working on them. We're like, okay. And then, you know, Grant stops playing Destiny at the time. And I was like, so now I'm just concentrating on streaming full time. We just kind of went our separate ways. Now, the fruits of Troy's labor is coming back where he's got scads upon scads of these heavy metal remixes of old uh, video game themes. I'm doing very well at streaming and Grizz is off doing his thing on YouTube and doing great at it. Yeah, and the, like that's that. so good. Like, it's just so weird, like how the timing of everything goes. Because, like, and I, you know, not to throw shade, you know, right? Because I love what Grant's doing, and yes. you know, I wish him the best and the most success, and because he deserves it. Fuck yeah, he does. But the whole time that we did the podcast, to me, that was the okay, this is time to give you time to think about what you're going to do for videos. Mm -hmm. And he never made any. And then yeah. the podcast died, and he's like, yeah, I'm making videos now. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and I... But I, like that, it's how it, you know, like you can't say, oh, well, you need to be doing this because we're doing, you know, like you just kind of go your own way, and whatever happens, happens, and it's yep. fucking awesome. 
and you can't... personally like i've never cared about you know like youtube fame or right. or you know like granted i would love to be able to make enough money to do what i love to do sure but to me it's do what you love to do and if people come to it that's awesome exactly because if not at least you haven't compromised yourself to try and fit into some you know square hole exactly and for me it kind of boils down to like the the true art i don't want to get too esoteric here but the true artist or the true artist if you're troy <laughs> the true artist um you have a compulsion to do your art um regardless regardless sorry i'm i gotta stop i really gotta stop it's, there's too many opportunities <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But seriously, a, a true artist is compelled to do art, regardless of, of who imbibes that art, regardless of how many people may feel about that art. You just have to do it. And I, I feel like those... Because the, there's really two types. There's the, the, the compulsory artist, and there's the artist who starts off compulsory and then does gain an audience and then feels an obligation to said audience, which can be dangerous too. Um, but you have to do what you want to do, not be entrapped by your own expectations, the expectations of others. Uh, and, and presumably things will go your way, you know, at least artistically, I can't say financially it will, but. Well, yeah, I mean, like we all kind of have our ups and downs and, you know, like lulls in producing content oh, sure. and whatnot, but like. At the end of this month, I'm going to have 150 thrash remixes on YouTube. Is that all? 150? Uh, no, because a lot of them are medleys. Oh, shit. So it, it, it's actually a lot more. <laughs> and, and to put that in perspective, for five years, um, I was in a, a fairly prolific, I mean, by prolific, I mean, we wrote a lot of stuff, uh, death metal band, and we recorded somewhere like, we did four albums in that time and like two EPs and a few other things. And even with all that, we still are, are around the 60, 65 track mark for songs in five years. And yeah, but you guys were also writing them too. I'm yeah. just like, oh, I like this song that was from a video game. Okay, Yoink. so, so <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing though. You still have to rearrange everything. You still have to like, you have to rewrite it. because, And that, I would argue, is harder. Harder. Because if you're writing a song from scratch, you can go, I want to put this here. And there's no one to stop you but your bandmates. If you even have a band. Like, if you're a solo artist, you do whatever the hell you want. And it just goes, right? When you're taking something that already exists and you're rewriting it, you ha there, there are things you have to keep in there to keep the essence of that tune alive. And now you have the palette you're working with, which is what, four tracks? Eight. Eight track. That's just a little better, but still. Um, and you and two of those are taken up by the drums anyway. So now you have six tracks to reproduce some pretty complex melodies, but do it in your own way. So it's like at that point, you're creating more limits for yourself. So to me, you are doing something that is technically more difficult. Maybe not as creatively difficult, but you technically have to do this thing and still maintain your creativity, right? Well, it's, it's the weird balance between 
knowing the boxes that you've set yourself into and still working around them. Because mm. it, uh, it's, yeah, it can be super complicated to do some of these songs. It can be really easy to do some of them. Like, it's, you just never know how things are going to go. Until they go. So, uh, but, you know, speaking about video game remixes in the podcast that we did, something that's pervaded and been constant through all of it is that love of video games. And that's been instilled in both you and I at a very early age. Um, so getting, now that we've introduced ourselves and, and said, hey, we're both video game guys, let's talk about the video games themselves. I was born in the late 70s. And as long as I can remember, there have been video games in my home. Now, for someone who's half my age, that's not a big deal. To someone who is my age or even a little bit older, that is profound. Because my parents had a Pong console in the house. In fact, it was built into a black and white television that we had in the kitchen. And on the side of it had these buttons and the wired control, wired controllers with the paddle. I can't stop myself. Um, and, and we'd play that. And to me, that was a cool thing. Boop, this is cool. Boop, boop, you know. And it was a lot of fun. It was something different. And then, not, you know, my next big memory was being in, uh, we had a split level house. We had like the basement level, right? Uh, my aunt and uncle had come down to visit. It was about an hour and a half drive for them. So, and they had brought with them a ColecoVision. So I went from Pong straight to ColecoVision in terms of my experience. That was a bit of a mind fuck, let me tell you. I'm playing Donkey Kong, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is amazing. And my mother got hooked on Ladybug, something fierce. She was really good at fucking Ladybug, dude. Uh, but she never considered herself a gamer. Ever. Even though... Through like the late '80s, she was still playing Ladybug on the regular. Nice. Like she was, she was a she, she was a speedrunner, dude. Like you watch her play, and you're like, "Fuck, she was good." Ugh, if only Twitch had existed in the mid '80s, I would have been oh, the, <laughs> the legacy, dude. Um, but you know, and then shortly after, I was introduced to that through my aunt and uncle. Like a few months later, we had visited my grandparents. You know, the, you go through the cycle of visiting family, even in the military. But it's like a quarterly thing or whatever. So we visit my grandparents. They have an Atari and a shitload of games. And I honestly believe that it was... <laughs> my grandparents were very blue-collar, all right? Not, not dumb, not stupid, very intelligent people, hardworking people, but technology was not their strong suit. So I don't know if they intended to buy a ColecoVision and didn't know the difference, because the thought process for me was, oh, it would have made sense for them, for everyone in the family to have a ColecoVision, and then we just swap out cartridges when we're visiting. Yep. And I believe that's what they were going for. But no, Pap got... An Atari, which I loved. I loved it. Pac-Man, holy shit, you know, Adventure. He had all the games. He had so many games. And when he died and then Grandma moved next to my aunt, that Atari mysteriously disappeared. 
And I'm like, where the fuck did it go? We didn't get an Atari until a couple years later. We got it from a neighbor. We paid like 25 bucks for like, like 30 games and the thing. The ColecoVision survived right up until my mother's death, um, and I was supposed to have it. I couldn't fly home with it. I, to this day, I regret not just grabbing it, putting it in a box, and shipping it myself. I should have done that. What ended up happening was uh, my mother had a boyfriend, a live-in boyfriend. We had said to him, hey, we got to sell the house, so you've got X amount of time to get your stuff together and figure out what you're going to do, unless you want to buy out the house. Like it was, those are the options. You either are buying the house or you do something else. And you have this long to decide. Well, his son caught wind of this and thought we owed his dad a lot more. Uh, spoilers, no, we didn't. Um, and stole a shitload of stuff. Like among them, the ColecoVision that was in my family since 19 fucking 82 or 83. I'm like, and again, it's a video game system. I don't even know if it worked anymore. But it's like, come on, dude. So, but that's how, uh, that's the thing, though. The, the, like, the fact of all the things that were in that house, aside from my own personal belongings, like, to me, a family heirloom, my birthright was a fucking ColecoVision. Like, I really yeah. felt that way. And that speaks to, like, how ingrained this shit was. So, at an early age, I had Pong. I had Atari. I had ColecoVision. And those, from, like birth until maybe 86 that was what video games were to me and when the crash hit i was like i wasn't devastated because i didn't understand that like it was going away i was just happy games were cheap and i had them all over the house ColecoVision in the living room atari was in my parents room which i'm not still not sure why they did it that way but that's how it was and so they were always a part of my young life so that's like that golden age of video games. You're a little bit younger than me. How how did you get started on video games? Well, it I don't know. It's kind of weird because it, it's like somebody cloned you and a couple years later it became me because it like the stories are so similar that like it, it, it you know, you're death metal, I'm thrash metal. You know, mm -hmm. like the, <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. And we could have a whole podcast, but, but that's a whole other story. I was there, um, Heavy Metal Part 1, coming soon. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, we'll do it. Um, but, I like, I... We also had, a, like, a Pong machine. It was, uh, like, one of those four-in-one kind of ones. Oh, yeah, Where yeah. it had, uh, like, tennis and mm -hmm. racquetball and... Uh, but I've never seen it hooked up in my house. Really? Um... But I grew up with Atari, and mm. my cousins had the ColecoVision. Sure. Um, so, you know, I got both the experiences from those, but um, I was born in 82, and we had the Atari, like, as long as I could remember. Like, I remember playing video games at age three. Yeah. And mm -hmm. at the time, my favorites, Donkey Kong on the Atari, uh, Mousetrap, and Demon Attack. Dude, Demon Attack. That, like, that whole, the, the publisher, um, they had the silver, the really bright silver labels, 
and the name of the game was always like in bright across the top, and it had that weird space. Like, like the cartridge looked like a fucking spaceship. Yeah. And they had like, and they, what was there's another game they did Pharaoh, I think it was, or something Egyptian. Uh, Yar's Revenge. Yar's Revenge was an Atari. Uh, no, because uh, um, I gotta look this up now. I'm looking this up now. Uh, so see, I thought Demon. Yar's Revenge had like bugs on the cover it and a, a pyramid. It does, but the, what I'm saying but you specifically might be is thinking that of this... another. I mean, there were so many Atari games that. Yeah, yeah. So I want to put this in chat. There's a link to the game Demon Attack we're talking about. Uh, they okay, Imagic. That was the the label. Um, they did. Ooh, wow, they did a lot of games, but not as many as I I thought they did. Like they did like, like I can fit all their games on one screen. Um. Is this it? Maybe this is it. Riddle of the Sphinx. I bet you this is it. Let me see what it looks like. Oh, come on. Video game. Just give me the god. I want to see the fucking cover, dude. Where is it? Eh, this might be it. Oh, yeah. This is clearly it. Yeah, because it, it has a gigantic fucking sphinx on the cover, of course. <laughs> I mean, that, if that's not Egyptian, nothing qualifies as Egyptian. Like, you could have, like, a cat dressed as a pharaoh eating falafel, and it would not be as Egyptian as a fucking sphinx on the cover. Um, at any rate. So, but I, I love that, like, Demon Attack was something that you uh, identify with, because, like, kind of part two... And I still, I don't understand. I don't I actually remember what happened to the Atari. Um, something may have happened to it when I got my Nintendo, but I don't think so. I think it was later. We sold it in a yard sale or something. I wish we hadn't, for obvious reasons. Uh, but I did have the Atari in my bedroom at one point. At some point, when I got my own TV, like the folks were like, look, we don't want you in our bedroom anymore watching TV. You got your own TV. Here, take the Atari and shut up. Like, get away from us. Basically. In a nice way. Don't get me wrong. So, uh, I had the Atari, and I remember, because that's the thing, the first time I saw Demon Attack, I was in my room. I remember this specifically. I was in my bedroom, I had a friend over, he had a copy. He's like, this is Demon Attack. I'm like, what the fuck? Put it, like, like, first of all, like, I'm at this point maybe uh, eight, nine years old, just getting into metal. On the down low, still wearing, like, the polo shirts with the little lizard eating up the shirt. <laughs> you know, like, oh, hey, guys, I'm just a good little nerd. You know, in the background, you know. Um, so we played that game, and I was blown away with it. Like, big time. And uh, I don't think I ever played it again. But it's just that one experience, like, as soon as you said Demon Attack, I, I can see the label in my head. I remember the game, and I remember getting like, whoa, fucking Demon Slayer, you know. I didn't even know who Slayer was at the time, but I still instinctively was like, Slayer, <laughs> you know. I think some people were just born Slayer in them. So, but yeah, like, I mean, we also had, you know, like all the classics, like Asteroids and Missile Command and, sure. and whatnot, but like, I don't know, it... Even though I didn't know it, even at that age, it was the things that interest everybody else. I'm like, yeah, but demon attack. Right, right. And 
I, I think the same could be said for music too. And I don't want to get on a, a tangent about that, but like stuff that sta- stands out to you at a young age, you assume everyone else was like, dude. Um, but that's so seldom the case, especially for weird people like you and me. Um, yeah. <laughs> there, was one, there was one particular band that I got into through a bandmate in like the mid 90s that I had never heard of. I should have, but I was like, ooh. And I thought that like only I listened to this, me and him. Like no one else bought this record. It was on Nuclear Blast, but no one else bought it but us. Uh, and in fact, I bought the very last copy ever printed through in the original pressing later in life. Fast forward to 2007. We're playing Milwaukee Metal Fest, so is this band. The guy that owns the label we were on at the time, he and I were screaming like little girls in the front row watching this band play with the other 10 people that were watching them. Because like we were like so into this band. But at the time, you're just like, this fucking you know, demon attack! It's the same thing. You don't hear people talk about that shit. You, you hear people talk about Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Asteroids... To use collection lingo, you hear them talk about commons. You hear them talk about that. Once, but unless you're like up at four in the morning on AtariAge.com and sifting through the forums, like you, you'll start hearing stuff about the other games and people go like, dude, I fucking jacked off to River Raid, dude. You know, <laughs> you know, um, so like you started out with Atari and ColecoVision and that was a big part of things like. Um, what what effect do you think that had on you? Uh, good hand-eye coordination for one. There you go. Um, but uh, it it just instilled a love of video games that TV and movies have never compared to. Because, like, I mean, for me, it's it's active entertainment. Whereas you put on a movie. You could die and it'll finish. Right. Like I want to be part of the action. That's fair. And uh, and it it kind of went through that, you know, with the Atari. But then when the NES came out, like as simple as the the graphics and the sprites were, to me it was like I was controlling cartoons. Yeah, that's actually valid. And I think that that certainly became more true as time went on. Um, I mean, one need look no further than, like, the DuckTales remaster. Like, holy shit. Yep. Like, that is now literally controlling the cartoon. Um, And I'll tell you something. To replay that game in your 30s, if you want a soul-crushing experience, you know, play that game for 10 minutes. You know, because that's a frustrating motherfucker. It really is. Yeah, the the only thing I don't like about it, and I mean, it's more in hindsight than anything, because, like, I love the remaster. Yes. Um, I know it got, like, a lot of mixed reception at the time mm-hmm. um, because of, you know, like, all the cutscenes and whatnot, but, like... I, I thought that made it so much better. As someone who, you know, like... I don't care about actors, but I know my voice actors. Yeah. And to hear, like, the entirety of the original cast, like, I played through that entire game with tears of joy. Yes. 
Yes. And Absolutely. then to go back to uh, to the NES version where I have to hit down and B after jumping to get my cane out, it's just like... I, it's one of the few instances where I personally find it really hard to go back to the original yeah. because of how far we've come in that time. It, and it, it's just amazing to see that evolution. Yes. And like, even if you just go one generation, in some ways the opposite can become true. So like the Ninja Gaiden trilogy on Super NES, like, I love it, but there's something about the way that it the animation works i the rhythm i can't get the rhythm the same it's i'm not as good at, at the remaster as i am with the nintendo version for some it's reason it's a shitty port yeah i i feel and, like it's uh it, and it like it it very much is the nes game like of the nes games put onto a super nintendo cartridge and tweaked so it looks a little better doesn't play as good and sounds so much worse. And here is the kicker for that, though. It is by far the most expensive version of Ninja Gaiden out there right now. Like, I still don't have a copy of it in my collection. I still want one because I'm, I'm that guy with Ninja Gaiden. I'm like, I have to have this, you know. Um, like, looking at on eBay right now. Uh, best price is 224 bucks right now, which is right around... It's been sitting there for a while. Um, where is it on eBay? Here we go. Right, I'm about to throw up. Check this out. What? You gotta be kidding me. There's no way. $16.99? Oh. There's no fucking way. There is... Pardon me, guys, while I fucking vomit... Read read details. See details. He actually is selling this for $16.99. Oh, it's a repro. That's why. At least it says yeah, in, in plain English. Look out for that stuff. The thing is, though, like, I gotta be honest, like, I don't really care. Like, I'll buy a repro of it. For that price? That's not bad. You know, a lot of repros will cost you like 50, 60, 70 bucks, depending upon what game it is, which I don't understand. Um, no. But, to, but for seventeen bucks, like sure, why not? Um, now I'm kind of curious. So I'm seeing like 172 bucks, um, 150. Like 150 seems to be the going rate for a fair copy these days. Which compared to where it was in 2012, it was over 200 dollars at the time. Uh, so this, I mean, that's not bad. I mean, there's a little bit of, like... If I spent 150 bucks on a fucking game right now, Farron will kill me. Uh, so I'm not. I'm not. At all. Okay? But I would spend 17 bucks on the goddamn Repro. Uh, just to have it in my collection. Uh, to be able to pop it in and play it. Then again... I, like we just said, that it's a shitty port. And which is part of why I'm like, do I have to have the original in my collection? No, I just want it on my shelf. Like, there were a few titles. I got so frustrated with the pricing on it. I almost just made a case and put it on the shelf. Because no one pulls them off the shelf and opens these and go, wow, look at all these games. And by the way, spoilers, everything on that shelf has a game in it. I, I, I never did that. But I thought about it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thought about it. 
Like to hear, here you go. I think Jim's video game collection's a sham. Ain't got no games in the case. Ah, thank you very much. A little in color for you. So, yeah, Nintendo, like, stepped up big time, and I think it changed the, the culture. People thought, like, Atari was, like, it was the biggest thing on the earth for, like, eight seconds. It really was. However, I feel like Nintendo got bigger and was more subversive because, back, back me up on this, when Atari and ColecoVision were, like, top dogs... No one said, I'm going to go play Atari if they were going to a house that had a ColecoVision. Yep. It, later in the 80s, if someone was going to somebody's house, and I'm going to play video games with my friend, if someone asked their parents what they were doing, oh, he's playing Nintendo. The way Xerox or like certain parts of the United States, they refer to all sodas as Cokes, which I never understood that. But whatever, but that's that's one of the things. So like... It became part of the cultural vernacular in a way that nothing else had done before. And it, it, it was everywhere. You, you could buy literally anything. In fact, the only person merchandise that I've never actually seen, although I'm sure it exists, don't link me anything, is like a fucking Nintendo dildo. I've never seen that. Like, I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a Yoshi anal intruder somewhere out there. I know that exists for a fact. I think they call it a Wiimote. Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got the cord on the end so you can pull it out like, there we go. You know. You know. Uh, wow. How long did it take me to get there? Uh, thirty. <laughs> only 37 minutes to get to shoving something in somebody's ass. That's awesome. I feel great. It's awesome. It's good for me. <laughs> um, but it was like, if you lived in a neighborhood... When the NES was at its prime, in particular, it was always a matter of who you'd always would. It seems like everyone would meet at like whoever's house had either the biggest TV or the most comfortable living room that you were welcome in, and you would just bring your games, or you would trade yep, games on the bus. Everybody just bring their games over. Yeah, and they, you would just play and sleepovers. Fucking forget it. Like you would just play games all fucking night. I remember the first time I played Rygar was like 1990. I had never gotten around to playing it. But, but uh, can't make this up. The younger brother of the man who would later marry my sister slept over to hang out with me. And he brought like this stack of fucking games. And then I slept over his place like a couple months later. And this motherfucker had an Intellivision which I had never touched before. I used to remember, like, reading comic books, like my old Marvel comics, and, like, seeing, like, ads for, like, the Kool-Aid Man games. There were a few games that they got that no one else got, and I'm like, I want that fucking game. Why can't I have that game? I've got two of the three. Why can't I? What the fuck? You know? And then I played it in television. I'm like, oh, that's why. The television sucks horribly. <laughs> and for no other reason than the control scheme. The control scheme was like, what are you thinking? Like, this isn't... It has this weird dial on the top, and the buttons were all funky, and the keypad. Like, what? Like, where it's ColecoVision, you had a joystick, but it was a little knobby thing, and you had your keypad. But the keypad had a lot more interactivity. Like, Mousetrap, you had mentioned. You had the, like, it was different directions for, like, which way you wanted to open the trap, right? Or the door? Uh, yeah. 
So yeah, that you and that, like, uh, that's one thing that I love. You know, just going back to like everybody loved Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. I loved Mousetrap because it was like Pac-Man, but you could open and close doors. Oh, Ladybug does that too. Um, in a bit more of a intuitive way, I'd say. But whereas Mousetrap was more of a was slightly slower paced than both of those games. If you allowed it to be, meaning if you were had enough strategy, like you could keep that fucking cat at bay. Um, well, I mean, like there's another thing that you know, like if you've never played the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, or I'm I don't even know if they had them on the Intellivision or ColecoVision. But manual difficulty selections on the console itself. That was just Atari that did that. Um, you know, like there were switches where, mm-hmm. you know, like you'd have like your easy mode and your difficult mode. And it, it would be something like easy mode would have two cats, whereas hard mode would have three. Right. Um, and, and interestingly it's enough. It's so weird to think about those sort of options built into the console themselves. Instead well, of, you know, like, you selecting it in-game. Well, like, also, too, you have to remember, like, there were certain games where they used those switches for something that had nothing to do with difficulty. Like, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, I think some parts of E.T. even. Um, yeah, for, like, item selection and, and things like that. Uh, Star Raiders. Yeah, yeah. And I never uh, understood that, like... So, what, that's what's funny to me, is that, like... Uh, there are so many manuals for, like, NES games, you can get online somewhere. Like, they're around, right? Um, or at least someone has either, if not reproduced the manual, like, they'll have typed it out. Good fucking luck getting a manual for, like, a 2600 game that really needs it. Like, Raiders of the Lost Ark, at a glance, seems like a shitty-ass game. But once you know how to play it, fuck! It makes Zelda look like fucking checkers. In terms of like well, how yeah, and it, it is. it's the sort of thing where uh, the concepts that people were creating couldn't keep up with the technology that was present. Right. Like right. A, a lot, you know, the uh, the whole video game crash. Like a big part of that is, you know, like a lot of people say, "Oh, it was just a fad at the time." Nope. But it was because they weren't they were innovating. They weren't getting what the Nintendo was about to provide. Right, exactly. They didn't. It, it, people weren't getting. They weren't receiving the quality that was awaiting them. They weren't. The concept of like console generations really hadn't uh, solidified yet. And then the NES came along, and they did that. Um, from chat here, Max says he was a Sega kid. Like I haven't even talked about Sega yet. I like Sega a lot. Master System was like it's fucking metal yep. as fuck. Um, there was one, it was always one kid in the neighborhood that had one. And he was either really lonely or really popular. There's no middle ground. The Sega Master System kid in my neighborhood, lonely as shit. Alright. He was an only child, had a Master System, like, he had a dad that had, like, the secret porn stash that wasn't that secret because it was out in the open. He was like, don't you touch this. It's like, what do you think's gonna happen there, dude? Like, what do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> but he also had um, a PC with, like, a lot of LucasArts games on it and stuff like that. So, like, this kid had all, like, the off... Not the off-brand, 
But like he had all the other shit that you just either didn't hear about or you couldn't afford, right? Um, but he so he had all like the really good flagship Master System titles, and and like Afterburner blew me away. You know, like how perfect that was of a port. The, the the first version of Double Dragon I ever played was a Master System. So when I get it on Nintendo, I'm like, the fuck is this? One player? Are you nuts? This is not how you play fucking Double Dragon, you fuck. Yeah, but we have a fighting mode. I Okay, it's kind of cool. You know, <laughs> like it was just, it was so weird. Well, it's it's so weird looking at, um, because back with, uh, with the NES, there were so few games that got ported over to, you know, like the right. Sega Master System or a little bit later, the TurboGrafx-16, mm-hmm. which, you know, it, it's another one where, like, you know the one kid that had one. And it's a great um, system, too. But the Turbo was great. So good. Like, so underrated. You know. Uh, but, you know, just going back to Double Dragon, like, it's it's weird to look at both of them in hindsight, because neither of them were as good as the arcade original, but Right. Uh, th- there were definitely certain aspects of each that yeah. made them better than the other. Yep. Uh, like the graphics in the Master System version were top notch, like crazy good. But it couldn't, music wise, couldn't touch the NES. Mm-mm. Nope. And and I suppose like the master system kind of benefited from the 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 two player simultaneous co-op because you're so busy yelling at each other you're not listening to the music you know so yep. it doesn't matter you know um but double dragon you're by yourself in a room like you know um and i remember like the nintendo power where it talked about all the glitches where you could like smack linda have her go up the wall and get the basically what i would do is get her up there kick her ass uh, or grab the whip. I'd go up and have the whip stuck up there just so they couldn't get it. Um, and then you beat the second level boss by just climbing down and, and making him despawn. It's amazing. Um, and then there's a thing where uh, there's a bridge. If you throw a bomb at a certain point, like it blows up all the characters on the other side or something. I don't remember what that does. Yeah, it was because of like the limitations of loading sprites. Like they basically loaded all the characters at once, and yeah, if you hit oh, them all, I at remember the baseball bat. Yeah, the baseball fun. bat. Was, yeah, the baseball bat. In a certain place, you could infinitely get lives because you just keep killing people. So I would sit there. So my trick was if I've ever playing it, you get infinite lives, right? So you like, but you have to earn them. So my at one point I would get like a like an encyclopedia or something, and I would just have an NES advantage, which has the big fucking buttons on it, and I just boop and just hit the button there and go to school. You know, because I was paranoid to turn off the TV. I turned the volume down. I would never turn the TV off, because like for some reason I thought in my head that the the NES would know the TV was off and the game wouldn't play anymore. I know now this is bullshit. You know. Well, it, it's funny the things that we think as kids, <sighs> like the road is moving, not the car. You thought that as a kid? <laughs> like real life, yeah. Wow. That's, uh... We gotta talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm better now, Jamie. Right. <laughs> well, like, that's like... The, okay. 
Um, but, you know, it, it's just weird kid thoughts that sure. make absolutely no sense when you think about them. But at the time, it's like, no, oh, I this. can't turn the TV off. Right. Like uh, when I was a kid, and I remember hearing the phrase uh, Sutton Such sold separately. For some reason, I had it in my head that that meant you weren't allowed to buy them at the same time. Like you had to buy them one at a time. <laughs> and then I asked what it meant, and I was like, and, and my mom was like, oh, that just means that they don't come in the same package. You can buy them at the same time, but they're going to come in different packages, and you can get them in the same place at the same time. They're just, they're just not sold in one package. My mind was blown. I'm like, can we get all those? She says, not today. No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but, but in the moment, it was like, I can have it ready! <laughs> it was like, oh my god! You know? Um, you know? I mean, for example, the other side of that, like you were saying how the road moves. When I was in sixth grade, there was um, a Star Trek book that had come out by Vonda and McIntyre called Enterprise, The First Adventure. And the idea was it was the first time, basically, it, it tells the backstory of like how Kirk got the Enterprise from Chris Pike. It told that story and the first fucking mission that they had. And it was really cool. And I don't want to spoil anything. Although I will, because basically, are you this... sure it's been long enough? Oh, it's only been thirty years. I'm sure. <laughs> but they come across these um, these these travelers, and there's a revelation. Like he just Kirk will not accept this, but she finally gets through to him and says something. She says, "I don't. You must understand what we're doing with this ship." He says, I don't control the ship. I move the universe in front of us. Basically, what she's doing is she's treating the universe like a kaleidoscope. And when they travel, they're just moving the universe to where they want to see. And, I'm, and, and, and when she finally said it like that, I was like, what? You know, like, you're like, you could do that? And I'm like, in my, my small mind at the time, I was like, I guess you could do that if you had control of physics in that way. How one would gain that thing, I don't fucking know. But you could. And then for me, it was like, anything's possible, like, what the fuck? Um, oh, shit. From chat, talking about um, Commodore 64, Apple 2E. Oh, I had a... We had, in my classroom... Uh, when I was in elementary school, I, I would always zip through my work really fast. I was always that kid. And I'd go in the back and play Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail, I should say, because there's now Oregon Trail. They're two different games. Oregon Trail, and I would dive dysentery. Or I would have my teacher dive dysentery. Yeah, we grew up in the time of ninjas and robots, not zombies. True story. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I'd play that, and then I remember... And I still do not understand this. My father was dead set on this shit. He says we got an Apple II GS because I and my sister were insistent that we have a computer that was compatible with school computers. I wasn't insistent of that. I just wanted a fucking computer. Um, and my, I think my mom and my sister had more to do with it, but I'm like, don't you fucking lump me in with these women? Like, I didn't, I'm, I'm just happy to have a game thing. Like, it's fine. And we, we bought the computer desk before the computer was purchased. And I would sit in the office 
I would just sit at the desk and I would read. Cause I was like, I wanna, I can't wait for this fucking thing. Oh my god, gonna get this computer. I named the desk. I named the desk as a kid. That's how fucked up I was. I was like, all right. It was after the computer guy in the War of the World syndicated series. His name was Norton. I wasn't a strange child at all. Yeah, so we finally get the computer, and to be fair, Apple II GS was great. The GS stands for graphics and sound. We get a bunch of Sierra adventure games, um, which were great, you know. Uh, and that kind of became like gaming with dad. Because now, by now, I'm already into the NES. And every time I'd take the NES down to the living room, I'd try to get him to play a game, and he would just be frustrated for whatever reason. Um, mainly because I was better at it than he was. I didn't realize that was the problem. <laughs> but this was something we could play together. It was cool. Um, did you ever get into the adventure gaming, like the Sierra stuff at all? Um, I did later, but like that... That's the one part of video games that it took me a while to get into was computer gaming. Sure. Although, like, I knew about all the games um, because I, I loved video game magazines back in the day. Sure. You know, when I found out, oh, they make magazines where they just talk about video games and every ad in the magazine is for video games. It it's the best magazine ever, and I, like even before you know, uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly and Game mm -hmm. Pro, there was uh, the big one that I used to read was video games and computer entertainment, mm -hmm. VG and CE. Mm -hmm. Um, and because of that, like I knew about all these games on all these systems that. I never had a chance to play, but even just seeing those tiny little screenshots mm -hmm. was, it was mystifying. Yeah. Because it was like, like, oh, you know, like, it's awesome that I have the NES, but there's this whole other world out there. Mm -hmm. And it was also around that time that, and, and this is something that we can relate on, is when I found out about arcade gaming. <gasps> That's a whole episode, I think. Um, that was such a mindfuck because it was like, I thought the NES was the best graphics you could do. And you walk in and see something like Mad Dog McCree, where you can pick up a shotgun and shoot at actual video of people. And like, this is a video game? Right. You just blew my fucking brain apart. And if you think about like the reality of this is that that was a twofold with that game. One, it was designed to be something new in the arcades, but also they knew they were coming up with the full motion video stuff. And they're like, well, we have to have something that sells that. So they like had, this is like the flagship of like what full motion video could be. And in some arcades, like the screen was like this tall, like you were like right there. Right. Um, you know, later they condensed it into a regular, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, cabinet. But the first time I ever saw it was like that big life-size screen, which was crazy. Yep. Uh, and yeah, and like, they had it front and center at my local arcade. Ugh. So it like it was the first thing that you saw. And mm -hmm. th 
because of everything else that, you know, was video games at the time, you couldn't help but be... It was like Dragon's Lair. Right. Which And that came out, like, what, 83? 84? 83 would have been, I think. Um, but it, it was, it's it's the same sort of thing where, like, I get to control cartoons. Mm-hmm. But I was also, you know, a young enough age that, like, I didn't know why my arcade had a Wonder Boy and a Wonder Boy in Monsterland, and why when I went to play NES, I could play a game that was exactly like Wonder Boy, but it was Adventure Island. Didn't didn't yeah the licensing and all that, um, and clones were always a, a, an issue too. Um, but, but then you like fast forward, you know, and and and. So, like, Atari, ColecoVision, Pong, uh, Intellivision, NES. By the time the SNES came out, I was getting into music, and I kind of lost interest. So I didn't have an SNES. I didn't get one until 2012. Uh, and I played them, like, once or twice, and they were okay. Like, it was like, this is good, but I'm, I want to go play drums now. That was kind of, like, where I kind of stopped for a while. And it was actually a really good thing. Uh, because by the time you figure that would have been like 93, probably when I started like kind of going away, 1995, just a couple years later, um, I had more money than I knew what to do with because I was dumb. Uh, and we were spending a lot of time in the arcade. Like I was heavily into fighting games. And I'll tell that story more when we do an episode about arcades, because I think we need to do that. Um, yeah. But that inspired me, or inspired me, to... <laughs> I heard about the PlayStation. I'd never heard of it before, but someone told me, dude, the PlayStation is pretty much arcade accurate. I'm like, really? They're like, like they've actually gotten, they've actually hit that hurdle? It's like, I think so. So I go check it out, and they have MK3, and they've got the original Tekken. Tekken 2 hadn't come out yet on the home console because it was still a new game. Uh, and they didn't have Ultimate MK3 out yet either. So it was still, like, PlayStation had just come out like a couple months before. But I could play Tekken and MK and all this stuff. And they had these really robust arcade controllers, one of which is still in my circle. Uh, I gave that to pl uh, my buddy Platypus, who I used to live with. He helped me move in the first apartment I got here. And I gave him my old PS1 and that arcade controller. So I'm like, I don't need any of this stuff because I've got the PS2 if I really want to play those games. And you can still get those controllers on eBay for about 20 bucks a piece. They're not that expensive, which you would think they would because they're really well made. Um, and the thing is, people don't think about this shit, but uh, you could get a converter, PS1 to USB, and boom, you've got a really cheap arcade controller. Not yep. too shabby. And you're losing no functionality over current controllers whatsoever. Uh, because, like, you'd have to program certain things for movement or whatever, but whatever. So, spoiler. Uh, go get one of those controllers. So, I went apeshit. I bought the game, uh, a, a, a PS1. I bought both of those arcade controllers, an extra regular controller. I bought, like, eight games. And then, like, every other day I was buying more games. I bought almost the entire first run of PS1 games. Almost all the launch titles. Returned a lot of them. Because <laughs> they weren't that good. Like, the Star Wars fighting game. 
Oh, fucking Godzilla, was that awful? It was awful. We're not going to discuss that. But it had taken such a leap, even from the SNES, in terms of quality and expansiveness. Because um, I didn't do the N64 until later. Um, so, like, for me, my yeah, first I mean, 3D game they're... was <laughs> was the PS1, and, and you know... Uh, like, I kind of wish that I converted to, to the PS1 earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, like, up until that point, like, I saw everything as, like, a, a logical evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was... Just to, to use, you know, like, a, a music analogy. Like, to me, the NES was sort of like, you know, a punk band. Yep. You know, simple to the point, but, you know, it got shit done. Mm-hmm. TurboGrafx-16 was kind of like, you know, like the new wave, where it was still punk, but, like, they kind of added that cool synthesizer in that, like, <laughs> that's TurboGrafx. Um, Genesis is, like, some weird industrial band. Um, the, I, it took me a while to learn to love. But, you know, like, they've all got their own distinct sounds to them. Mm. And, like, it, it's so weird that, you know, like, you went away from video games because you were getting into music. Right. Super Nintendo drew me in because of the music. Interesting. Um, because it, it was one where, you know, like, they were actually using uh, samples for everything. Like, that's not MIDI. Right. Uh, every sound that you hear is a sample. But then the N64 went to MIDI. And it's like, this doesn't sound nearly as good. Right. And it was just. And like, then yeah. my friends introduced me to the PlayStation in like 97 or 98. I was like, oh my God, I've been missing this the whole time. Because it's, it's like the Super Nintendo's sound, only instead of eight tracks, you have uh, 16. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's that natural next step. Yeah, I remember like seeing Resident Evil played. This is when like I was like... Uh, I was into the, the PlayStation at that point, but there had been a lull. Once again, there had been a lull at this point. I'd been playing it for about a year. I was really heavy into, into writing my own music. I had a full-time band. And then I was doing a side project with somebody. Uh, basically, I was coming in to learn, like, it's a grindcore band. So I was learning, like, 12 songs. We were going to write, like, 15 more. And I go to the bass player's house, and he's playing uh, Resident Evil. I'm like, what the fuck is that? He's like, oh, this is Resident Evil. I'm like, what? You know? <laughs> so um, after rehearsal, I just went out and I bought it. And I'm sitting in my bedroom, which was a converted living room. Like, my parents' house had... You walk in the front door. To your left is the living room, which extends into the kitchen in the back of the house. If you hang to the right, there was what would be a living room, or or like a separate, a second living room, and then it had walls on all three sides. But there's like an open uh, doorway to get in there from like the dining room and shit, uh, with these French doors, which spoilers aren't French at all, actually. Like, like that's not true. Like I don't know why we call them that. So, at some point. Uh, in the late 90s, that room had been converted. We took the French doors that had windows in them, 
And those became the doors in my parents' closet. And dad, it, he was smart. He was like, these are all modular. So he took the, those solid doors, put them on that room. And then we got like a privacy screen and put it up. That became my sister's bedroom. And then she moved out after college. And I'm like, I'm fucking taking that room. Shit. It was bigger. So, although there was a door, there was like a big open space, like sound would carry, right? And just down the hall, separated by a wall, was my parents' bed. I worked second shift a lot when I was in uh, doing grocery work at the time. Good job, by the way. It's an awesome job for a musician because you can just sit there and hum and think and everything else. It's awesome. You can build whole worlds for your art as a bagger or a cashier in a grocery store. It's fucking amazing work. Doesn't pay that great, but it was fun. So I, I would come home from work at like 10 or 11 at night. And that would be my video gaming time. So <laughs> I'm playing Resident Evil in the dark, the dark, by myself at 11 o'clock at night for the first time. When the dog crashed through the window the first time, Holy shit! Controller goes over here, headphones go <laughs> flying, uh, and my mom, you hear, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. She's like, what the fuck is going on? Are you watching a movie? I'm like, no. Ma, I'm playing video a video games game. just got real. She's like, what? I'm like, this is the scariest thing I have ever experienced at this point in my life. And then I had to sit and listen to this story she would always tell about when I was a kid. We were watching The Incredible Hulk on TV, and I would start backing away from the TV as a little kid during the, like, the transformations. Like, do you want us to turn off the, the thing? The, the channel? No, you're fine. It's good. And I was just staring at the screen. No, I'm good. It's fine. Jimmy, you should... Yeah, yeah. It's fine. And I would be like slowly creeping up the stairs out of the room because I was scared. You know. Now it's like some contact lenses and some torn clothes i'm fine but yeah like uh it it really changed like that was that moment where video games just got real it's like holy fuck like you can really evoke these kinds of emotions like i had some cool like holy shit i beat it moments with nes but never like i never cried playing an nes game not 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 from the story or the events of the game maybe the accomplishment of beating it was emotional, but that that's different. That's accomplishment. It's not this game took me to a place. Resident Evil scared the piss out of me. Almost. And it was uh, really cool to realize that, okay, now he's got this. And you realized at a much earlier age than I did that this is interactive media now. We are now a part of, of storytelling. Um, and that never left me. And, I, and uh, it was a PS1 that again would, would kind of like hit me right between the eyes. A couple years later, and this is where my, you know, sometimes I imagine the first person that tasted peanut butter and chocolate together came in their pants like if they didn't that's stupid because like that's an, like the most amazing combination like why did no one think of this you know yep then i played the first spider-man game on ps1 <sighs> like i we're both spider freaks both of us huge spider-man fans 
Um, you own a Spider-Man costume, though. I do not, because they, they don't make them in my size. They just don't. Well, they do, but um, no. So I'm playing that game, and not only is it just a really well-done video game, you've got Stan Lee narrating. So now I'm, I'm five years old again watching Spider-Man as an Amazing Friends, but I'm playing the fucking game. Not only that, they're bringing every major villain, the original version of that villain, into the comics, or into the video game. They brought in the best version of Venom. You know, the, the version of Venom that, like, everyone, when I say Venom, I'm thinking of this guy. This version of Eddie Brock, under these circumstances. But you're also doing slightly uh, continuity-bending things, like the end boss being what it was, which was really cool. Something different. And that game was, it took forever. It was a really long game. I, my, I was in the Marines when I played this. And I was luckily in A school, so you'd, like, you'd have like a day job. you go to class and you come home. Everyone else is going out and getting drunk, which I still did on the weekends. This wasn't even my PlayStation or my copy. I was in someone else's dorm. Can I play this, please? And they would let me. They're like, sure, whatever, deep. Like, two weeks I played this game. I haven't even told the story. Like, you know the Tecmo Deception story, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't even gotten to that. Like, that was before. It was almost like that. Like, I almost, like, missed class and shit over this shit. But, like... The thing is, when you're in the military and, like, you miss class and, like, boom, 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 like, you can, like, get in really big trouble for a dereliction of duty and shit. Like, you can go to jail if you do it enough. If you find yourself in dereliction of duty, like, you can get your life fucked. I didn't do any of that. Almost. Tecmo's deception just a couple years earlier, I lost a job, a girlfriend, an apartment over because i played that game so much i was like two or three weeks of all day wake up order pizza and beer because they would deliver the beer because the distributor was next door they're like oh we'll pick it up and they would just deliver like this extra large pizza and your case of beer well the case of beer would last two days as with the pizza and all day long just playing until you go to sleep at like one in the morning get up at, n- at nine do it again and then, the, then the third day, order the pizza. Da, 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 da. <sighs> Obsessed over that game. It's horrible. Do you have any stories like that? Were there any games that like sucked you in at, 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 at the PlayStation level that you just were like, ah? Um. Well, it would, like I was saying, like I didn't really get into the PlayStation like until a little bit later and you know like it it's kind of weird you know thinking of yourself as like a 14 year old kid you know reading about the nintendo 64 and you know Mm -hmm. being a i'll admit that i was a nintendo fanboy for the first two generations of their consoles sure because they were fucking amazing but like the the 3d and the N64 was just terrible. Mm-hmm. And it, like to me, it was seeing something and especially going back to the arcade with, you know, games like Spider-Man, X-Men, comics and cartoons that came to life. Yep. And seeing like 
what the future could be on consoles completely abandoned for like these not at all rounded circles. You know, like you could count the points in a circle because it's nowhere near a fucking circle. Right. And then my friends introduced me to the PlayStation where, like, they're sure there was a lot of 3D games, but there was also a lot of 2D games Mm -hmm. that, you know, like, once again, it's that sort of natural evolution. But I didn't even own a PS1 until uh, 2001. Sure. But in, uh, like, 98, 99, that's when I got my first computer. Oh, shit. And I had Spider-Man on PC. I have a copy of it on for PC over the, here. Yeah. So you know, like it, it's it's the whole parallel worlds kind of thing, mm-hmm. where you know, like it uh, th- that experience was amazing to me. Um, there was another game that I had called Urban Chaos. Yeah. That that was my obsession. Okay. I fucking love that game i played the hell out of that game to the point where i modded all the music so like i i learned you know like the uh the bit rate that the wave files had to be and i'd take all these little clips of mp3s that i had and i redid the the entire music in that game i love that game that much that's crazy um it, where the gaming and music crosses over, uh, Resident Evil. I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but the first demo I ever recorded, we were in a studio and I had ideas for samples. There's two samples that we used that no one had been able to recognize until I would tell them. So, like, the opening song was about the idea of what it must be like. Like, say, like, like, Christ on the cross during the crucifixion. When you're that close to death, is there is there the question the song raised was was this was there ever a moment where he's like, oh shit, I've been duped? You know, like this there's no way this could actually happen if I'm actually who I say I am. The, the fuck. You know, like like shit. You know, so that's basically you know it, but the the song was much more like, whoa, hmm, about it. Um but the opening of the song the opening of the demo, the album, if you will, and you hear like, mm, and you hear like some crows going, ah, eh, ah, ah, eh. when you find Wesker or whoever it was you find on the balcony there, it's just a loop of that. It was just a perfect thing where like at the time, my PlayStation and my whole TV and VCR were running through my stereo. So I could tape anything anytime I wanted sound wise. In perfect stereo. So I just got a loop of that for about two minutes. We had it loop for about 30 seconds. Wind, crows, which really did kind of, you know, was a, it created that atmosphere. And then we start this fucking blasting death metal song. It was perfect. And Sony never caught That's awesome. That's the first one. The second one. Um, remember when uh, Nemesis breaks out of the damn... I guess it was it Nemesis. It was still Nemesis at that point, right? Or whatever the name of the T virus, the tyrant, the tyrant is what they called him in that one. Nemesis was was second one. Tyrant busts out of this glass cage. Another oh shit moment the first time you see it. 
and basically runs runs you around in a circle until you you know hit him enough with enough rockets or whatever, and he run, he fucks off. By mistake, I stayed in that room for a while till everything calmed down, and I discovered something really cool. The music was one small industrial bass drop that was toned. So it was like. But behind it, you could hear all the computers and the machines going up and back. So we made that the intro for a song about um, how technology would effectively lobotomize society. Jesus Christ, we were prophetic, <laughs> were we not? <laughs> and we called the song Mass Lobotomy, and that was the name of the thing as well. But it was just like, oh. And we had samples from, like, the Ninja Turtles movie as well. But it was just like, which, you're like, what? <laughs> we cut it up. I think This part I think you know, for sure. It, we cut up two things. Something Shredder said was something that Splinter said, because the voices were just close enough together that the layman wouldn't know. So you have Splinter going, Death comes for us all, but something much worse comes for you. For when you die, switch to Sweater's voice, you will answer. It was like, it was, nice. it was a really cool sample. Like, I was pretty proud of myself. Uh, all done with a fucking tape deck. You know, so these are like these things that were inspired by the technology of the day. So like the very first recording I ever did professionally... Um, as a musician, we did like a, some four track demos and shit, but we were in a recording fucking studio. Um, and I still have the high eight tape of those being transferred and shit. It had video game samples in it. Like what? You know, and then you look at like bands like Fear Factory, um, where not only do they make it a point to put video game samples in a lot of their stuff, they were inspired directly by a lot of video games. Well, now, Ray Herrera, the ex-drummer, like, he composes video game music. Like, what kind of... That's a crazy crossover. And I think it all kind of comes back to people that are in our age range that grew up on the stuff, that saw the evolution, um, and recognized it for what it was in a way that I don't really feel like people that were born later appreciate on the same level. Would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. And I just uh, another weird kind of parallel there is, you know, like you, you know, like being inspired by things that are going on in Fear Factory. Mm -hmm. With me, it was Nine Inch Nails. Okay. And especially what they did on the Quake soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Because they did the entire Quake soundtrack. And as a result, all the boxes, the nail gun boxes have the Nine Inch Nails logo on them. And I thought that was the coolest fucking thing back in the day. It was, though. It was the coolest thing. You know, I look at, like, the influence of, like, say, Doom, right? Um, lots of heavy metal influence in there. Like, And the guys that did the music in Doom straight ripped off metal songs. Yep. And there's Slayer riffs in there. There's uh, Pantera riffs in there. Um, Metallica, Alice mm -hmm. in Chains. There, there's the opening, a lot. The opening riff. Master of Puppets, dude. That's fucking Master of Puppets. I didn't, it didn't hit me at the time until someone pointed it out. I'm like, 
oh, like how did I not see that? Right, yeah, exactly. it's so obvious. You know, you know, Slayer and shit. And it was, and, but the thing is, Doom also was like, Doom took itself at the same time so seriously and not seriously at all. You know, the first time that like I heard the character die was like, because he's like, ha! Like, he really wasn't expecting to die, <laughs> you know. And, ha! You're like, okay, dude, cool, you know. I, I, um, although I had been playing Doom for a while at that point, my fondest memories of that game initially, I played that game for an entire week after I had my wisdom teeth pulled. I was literally listening to Slayer, playing Doom, and spitting blood into a trash can. Pretty metal. as a pretty metal week. And I capped it with graduating from high school. It's good shit. Um... I shouldn't neglect to mention something that was an artifact of both SNES and uh, PC. The Wing Commander series. Did you ever play that? Uh, a little bit, but like it was when I was younger to me, like it was all about those twitchy action, you know, fast paced kind of. Sure. I, I didn't want to sit through menus of people talking and. Sure. I appreciate them a lot more now, and I, like I can still go back to the Wing Commander series because, like, I again I remember reading about them in the video game mm-hmm. magazines and going, the, "Mark Hamill's in this? What before, the fuck?" Before that, even before the third installation, the first two, like, I almost felt like the third one was actually kind of a shit on the rest of the series uh, because the first two, everything was animated and rotoscoped at that. One of your favorite things. Um, by the end of the second game, like, I had a major, like, legit crush on one of the characters in the game. And I was like, shit. So now, Mark Hamill comes in with this fucking shitty-ass 5 o'clock shadow beard and takes my girl. <laughs> you know? Because now they have to give the character a name. It's not the name that I gave him. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... Because Wing Commander initially, like, put you in that role. Like, you were the the character. Uh, and then they moved... They made this controversial decision to, like, kind like, remove a lot of that. Which I didn't dig. Uh, they had expansions, which is the first time I'd ever heard of anything like that, where they had, like, two or three expansions per installation. And then, like, the second game had a speech pack, which was like... Like, what? So now you're you're flying around in your dogfights, and you're no longer seeing text. They're talking to you. So you'll tell them, break an attack, stay with me. You'll communicate with, like, other pilots and be like, I'm going to fucking kill you and shit like that. And they'll respond. And it's like, it just, it, it, the immersion. It yeah, was and, so high. and I mean, that's that's another thing that the more it happened, the more amazed I got by it. Because, I mean, you know, like, you start out with, like, the NES samples, like, Blades of Steel! Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, man, the NES is talking to me! That's awesome! You know, that one. But, I mean, you know, like, as as things went further, like, the technology improved, storage space was increased, so they could have better-sounding samples as well as longer-quality ones. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, the uh, 
probably the one game that I played on PS1 the most with my friends was uh, WWF SmackDown 2. And to hear like the, the announcers calling the action was oh, revolutionary. It was crazy. Um, that really like threw me for a loop, too. Like I remember playing... Uh, I forget which WWF game it was. It was the it was the arcade one, I think. It had like bon, or doink, and yeah, they, where they all did like the Street Fighter kind of moves, but they were all yeah. digitized like Mortal Kombat. Right, and like uh, Yokozuna like hit you with a ham. You remember that? The ham. Yeah, you'd have like a ham or like Undertaker a, had a, a bag uh, of flour. Yep, and Undertaker had would probably be rice. Right, right, and then the the Undertaker had a. a gravestone i think yep which was cool and then, then you had like on the other side of the spectrum thq put out a wcw versus the world game which arguably uh was a much more complex wrestling game like you could do pretty much any fucking move in wrestling period and it was these weird button combinations but the character models were not that good they were not that good like everything was like that, that N64 kind of a, and the sound effects were weird too. Like you'd be doing like a, uh, like a chokehold and be like, ur, 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 and you're like, like, is that the guy grunting? Is that the sound that is being made with the, like, what is that? But it was arguably a, a really well done game. Um, but again, but they the, had like that was the great thing about having all those different platforms available, like Nintendo and Sony, as well as, you know, stuff going on on PC and in the arcades was everything was influencing everything else to make everything better. Yep. And, and even... like it was honestly an incredible time to to see how much happened in such a short time. And that was arguably like the biggest jump in, in terms of competition. Um, then you see that the PS2 and the Xbox come out. Uh, not the biggest jump, but again, a natural progression. Like PS2 took the PS1 format and said, all right, we're going to perfect all this shit. We're going to smooth all the edges for you. And it, it accomplished that and made a very, one would ar could argue, Amazingly uh, thoughtful, but also ultimately damning revelation. Oh, yeah, you can play PS1 games on here, too. And you're like... Which was great at the time. Until they fucked it up on the PS3. Which they initially did not fuck that up. They just put a PS2 inside your PS3. Yep. <laughs> well, which made it overheat and, and killed it, but that's not the point. Um... <laughs> But they, they sold a PS2 on the backs of it being the cheapest DVD player on the market. By far, you know. So you could play all your PS1 games and DVDs, and then on top of that, we're making way better games for the system. For It was, it was like the perfect storm. Like, well, yeah, because to me, you know, like, personally, the only time that I'd ever been able to do something like that beforehand was putting my... Game Boy games into the Super Game Boy in the Super Nintendo. And that's not and, even close you know, to the same uh, experience when you think about it. No. It, it was cool. It was nice to be able to do that. And arguably, some of those games actually played better on the Super Nintendo because you see it, right? Um, 
but it wasn't like you were getting the exact same experience on your new hardware. Game Boy did that pretty well. But, and even then, it wasn't... But it, it, was, it was the sort of thing where, like, to me, like, PS2 is to PS1 what Super Nintendo was to NES. Yes. But and you still so. had your whole library of games from the pre... There's so many reasons why the PS2 succeeded. Yeah. And why it lived for, what, 13 years? I almost would say that the PS2 was almost like, in terms of a cultural hit, the second coming of the NES, in many ways. Because the SNES didn't catch on the way that the NES did, not really. It didn't, at least not in the U.S. and, and, and Well, North no, America. because there were so many more options available. But, and, you know, like like yeah. you'd said before, like the DVD drive was a sale in and of itself because mm -hmm. you couldn't get a DVD. Like, it's so weird to think about that now. Like, yep. if you wanted a DVD player, your best option was to get a video game system. At that time, yes. And, uh, you know, like Same that Blu-ray a couple years later definitely spawned you know, like the consoles we have today that want to be your all in one media machine. It kind of started that. that I mean, trend. like I even remember with the PS1 being amazed that you could play CDs like mm -hmm. that was awesome. It was. I was playing music that was had only ever come out of my stereo speakers out of the TV. And for some people, that was a revelation because their home theater system was way better than their regular stereo. And then maybe they didn't have a CD deck attached to it. Um, like, for example, um, my parents did have a, uh, a CD changer in their stereo system in their living room. Yep. But, th but that changer went kaputski. So when I had people over, I'd bring the PlayStation out and plug it into the, uh, the VCR... And that would be how we'd play music for parties and shit. Like, because that was the only way to do it. Um, in fact, the very first time I ever heard Dying Fetus was on a PlayStation in my parents' living room. True story. I mean, you know, is Dying Fetus like this huge thing? Not really. Great band. And I love that band and those are great guys too. But um, this was when, like, for me, like that also games and music crossing over where. This guy was like, all right, here's where extreme music is about to go. Like, he showed me, in one night, Dying Fetus, Deeds of Flesh, um, and a few other bands that were, like, this higher technical prowess that I hadn't seen before, made Morbid Angel look like fucking amateurs, and I'm like, like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is amazing. Keep, keep playing this. You know, drink more beer, more this. And it was done on a PlayStation. You know, which was like, at the time, you don't think about it. And I haven't really thought about that until today. Because that's, it's legit what happened. There are certain games that I associate with certain bands, too. Yep. Um, Soul Calibur, back when it was Soul Blade, the first iteration. I bought that, which has a very medieval kind of fantasy vibe to it to begin with. And I bought the first Arcturus record. The same night, which is a very medieval black metal like project. Guess what? Put in Soul Blade, turn the music off, turn on Arcturus. Those two things forever linked in my brain. I play a Soul Calibur game, I'm thinking of Arcturus. I listen to Arcturus, I'm thinking of Mitsurugi with his fucking sword. 
it's just one of those things, man, where you just... I, I, I feel like... Just like we were talking earlier about how, like, demon attack. Like, I don't know that there's anyone else in the world that will ever be able to say that those two things are linked together for them. Like, Soul Blade and Arcturus are like... Like, I don't think anyone else in the world did that. I don't think so. Is it possible? Sure it is. Do I think there is anyone? I doubt it. Who bought those two things on the same night and listened to them and played them at the same time and, and linked them? But that's the power of the medium. It can produce these experiences and memories that you're not going to get by just listening to music or just watching a movie or just playing a game. Like you, All this stuff links together. And it it's kind of weird how like some of those things happen, you know, like with you, like you're saying, you know, like it basically happened the same day. Right. Um, but there's a lot of people where a certain type of game and a certain type of music come around at the same like um, I uh, I was really big into a Super Nintendo game called Uniracers. Mm hmm. And uh, at the same time, I was really getting into skate punk, like no effects and no use for a name and gob and rancid and like all that stuff. And it it was just a perfect marriage. Like I I found doom at the same time I found industrial music mm -hmm. and that there's so because like I'd bring my, uh, you know, bring my little stereo down to the living room so that I could listen to those songs while I play the game. Did you, and, with Doom, did you play it first on PC? What, what did you play it on uh, first? Super Nintendo. Okay, so this question is still valid then. How fucking mind-blowing was it when you played Doom on a PS1? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to see characters that, you know, like, they're a room full away, and it just looks like a jumbled mash of nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I, I think that's supposed to be the imp. Oh, right. yeah, a little closer, that's the imp. Yep. And the smooth um, and the speed. Um, and that was the sort of thing that, you know, like I said, for the NES and the Super Nintendo, I was kind of a fanboy, but w when the N64 broke my heart, I was just like, well, I was playing video games before Nintendo was making consoles. Right. There's a whole other world out there. And, like, that's when I got into PC gaming and went, holy shit. Like, this, mm -hmm. this is a completely different world than I've ever even experienced before. And when you and um, I first... And, oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, it, it still leads true to this day. Like, I mean... I I skipped the the GameCube. I was hardcore PS2. Um, I really enjoyed the PS3, but I also enjoyed the Wii. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you know, like it's it doesn't make sense to be a fanboy of anything because mm -mm. your taste change and the technology changes. Yes, like this console generation, I'm PC again. Right, and that the way that came about was interesting, though, because when we all first met, um, 
I was very much of a 360 guy. And really what, what, what that boiled down to was something very simple. At the time, I could afford either a PS3 or a 360. I went with a 360 for a lot of reasons. Um, and when I bought a Blu-ray player, I bought a specific Blu-ray player because it worked with my stereo receiver. Later finding out that that didn't, due to the way encoding would evolve, that did me no good. I should have spent the money on a PS3. However, comma, fast forward through our podcast, I'm like, fuck Microsoft! And I got a PS3, and then we start all playing some games together. Then your computer takes a shit. And you got a new computer, and you were like rediscovering PC gaming and Steam and Steam sales, and you were just like, ah! But my computer was subpar. And then I eventually got a new PC. And then I got into PC gaming again. But I already had a PS4 at that point. But you skipped the con- that whole generation because you're like, nah, it's, anything good's going to come out on PC for the most part. And to... Well, and it, it's where your tastes lie, too. Like, right. I'm, I would never tell anyone not to get a PS4 or an Xbox One because if that's where the games and the experiences that you want are... Go for it. But, like, to me, like, it all comes back to, you know, like, I'm kind of back into, like, that NES-style, like, twitchy action game again. Mm-hmm. There's tons um, of PC. And PC is king of the indies. Mm-hmm. But I can still get all the AAA games because the, the big companies want money. And, you know, like, personally... There are so few console exclusives right now that I want to play that, to me, it doesn't make sense. Right. and it, it, To it's someone else, where... like, if you're into, you know, like, Far Cry or Uncharted or, like, whatever, like, the big Sony exclusives are, that's phenomenal. Right. But you that's know... not where I am, because we're all on such, like, it's... We're all on this journey through video games together, but we all came in at a different point, and we all have a different perspective. And that's fucking beautiful. And yours is certainly isometric, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert, uh, editors know the podcast we did together was called The Isometric Perspective. So, (laughs) Um, Which made a lot more sense when you joined, because Grant and I did, you know, like seven or eight episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, the isometric perspective is three equal sides. And you you did sell me on that when I joined. In fact, I think you mentioned it in the first episode I was there, or when I became a permanent fixture or something. Um, But it worked. It worked really well. Uh it's it, it's interesting, like the console versus PC thing. Uh, this current thing going on, like the only thing I, I I said this I believe in the podcast at some point, or at least to somebody at some point on record, and I've said it before. I have often referred to the PS4 as my destiny machine because anything else I want at the time I could play on PC and get a better experience, especially now with good old Grindzilla here. Um, cause she's just a beast when she's working well, it's a, she, when she's broken, it's a, he, that's how it works. Broke dick dog. When she's broke, most beautiful woman ever, which is when she, Hey man, it's a true story. Treat it well. Um, 
And granted, there's still a lot of stuff I, I like playing on PS4 for the ease of it. Um, and that really boils down to that's that's code for I need to clean out the case and replace some fans in my PC, um, which I'm going to take full advantage of my warranty, which is um, covers everything for three years. I'm I'm almost into at the end of the second year. So what I'm going to do when I move, I'm so fucking smart, dude. I'm going to put the, the computer in the box it came in. I'm going to ship it to the manufacturer, and, and, and I'm going to call and make a claim first. Be like, look, I need you, because they said they'll do this. Clean it top to bottom, replace any fans, do another heat test, make sure it's fully tuned properly, and then send it back to me. But I'm going to send it down to my new address. That's going to cost me, what, 60 bucks? I'm going to worry about some meathead handling it. I don't gonna have to try and fit that gigantic box in my car. Yep. You know, with other stuff. And they're gonna give it a overhaul. Like, why would I not want to do this? You know. Although, part of me desperately like I can't do this. I'm not going to, but I should. I have two 980 TIs in this bad boy. Girl. I should remove them and sell them <laughs> because they would go for so much money right now that even with the crazy prices that are that the 1080 Ti is going for, I would still make money on it. You know, yep. but I'm not going to do that. So, but I, I think it's a smart thing. But then you talk about like now we're in this like Atari was one thing, Nintendo started something else. And that's gone as far as it can at this point with the PS4, PC, and Xbox One. Yes, graphics will improve, but in terms of like the concept of how you play these games, the interfaces and the types of stuff that's out there, it's pretty much, I think, I don't think there'd be anyone who would disagree that we've explored most of that territory for the most part. And the word is always immersion. So now we've got VR as a whole other thing. Which I'm so glad that I early adopted. I am so glad that everyone's fucking wrong because it is selling like hotcakes now. Um, and I, people thought the PS4 VR, like, oh, another Vita that's going to drop it. It is selling like mad. And they did a price drop early. And they're giving away VR titles every month with PS Plus. Nice. Smart. Well, yeah, um, I, it it's that you know, like the uh, like when uh, HD TVs came along, mm-hmm. and there was very little media to support it in the beginning, but you needed people to buy that media so that they'd continue with it. Yep. Um, and it's it's exciting to you know, well, like we're still on that cusp of VR. This is and, the Atari of VR, in my opinion, and yeah, and I mean, like we're also it just on the very edge of AR, yes. which is so exciting to me. Yes, you know it. It's not only being able to be in the game, but it's the game is in your house or wherever you know. Yeah, like, like how how cool would it be? To do AR outdoors at like at twilight and have it be like a Friday the thirteenth game and you're and you're running away from fucking Jason. That would be insane. Um, yep. but what's funny to me is that like VR started out here um on PC, which is the best place for it. 
And there was, I have like 100, 200 games for VR. Haven't bought one in over a year. Just in the year that they came out, like hundreds of games came out. And they were indie games, you know? There's a kaiju simulator in there where you're stomping around the city. And I, I, I'm too scared to boot it up. I'm scared I'll never come out. <laughs> I'm scared I'll never come out, dude. Um, because I'll just want it too bad. But it, it just... Um, I laugh, but I know how serious that is. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you know how I am about fucking Godzilla, man. Like, dude, I, I get to be inside, not sexually, inside my hero, you know? Um, you know, and it's got the it. Spider-Man game all over again for a new generation. There's a Spider-Man it, VR game that they did for Homecoming. I have it downloaded. It was free. You are Tom Holland, and he and he, you show him like he puts on the suit, like you are him. You know, you get to do web shooting and shit. It's not like, like a full featured fledged game. It's a lot like that Star Wars demo, which, by the way, holy shit, is really good. It's not a lot to do, but just in that moment, you're in that universe, right? But you're doing, you're having all these experiences that we've been talking about for the last hour and 45 minutes all over again. And they're just, they hit you between the eyes just as hard. Now I can play Zapper games again, and they're 10 times better. Not 100 times better, right? I have a Duck Hunt clone in VR. And not only are they 3D so you can move around, you have two guns now. And you can take a shot with either one or both shots or whatever. And, like, your aim actually matters. You can even shoot the dog. It's so good, you know. And it's not just, like, we change the sprites. No, it's a sprite for sprite, sprite clone. But in VR. You... Which, by the way, is illegal. And I do not endorse the uh, product anyway. Um... <laughs> no, but if you're going to check out stuff like that and you're into the genre, also check out the first-person Legend of Zelda yes. from the NES that they redid in VR. Yes, Because yes. I've only seen it, but, like, that's fucking amazing. Yes, definitely, for sure. Um, it, it There's so much... And again, like, this is a way of, like, not reinventing but re-experiencing these games. They've done Mario. You can do Mario. There's a few platformers that they've done for, like, the Oculus and stuff. Um, they redid L.A. Noir for VR, which is, like, that was already a really, like... Yeah, Mac is talking about this VR Duck Hunt horror game that came out. Yeah, I haven't played it yet. I, I might have bought it. I might not have. But, like, they took the concept of Duck Hunt, and they changed this whole thing around and made it, like, where the game is stalking you and shit. It's like... There's some cool shit. There's some really scary games out there. Uh, there's some really great, like, action-oriented games. You, flight simulators. Uh, fighting games have, have been, are a little problematic. Um, there's a great lightsaber game out there that they just were like, well, it's not going to call it lightsaber. It's going to call it light blade and shit. Uh, but it works. It's great. Um, but it's also awesome to see, you know, like the... Uh... Pardon the pun, the genesis of things like that. Yes. Um, like, do you remember? Uh, I don't remember which one it is, forgive me. Um, but there was a one of the first three Tekken games had that like first person VR mode. There's Tekken 3. Tekken 3. 
Um, was that also the one that had the uh, like the beat 'em up mode? From three on, pretty much had. I, I may have been tag where they started that, or four, where you it was like it was almost like a horde mode, but you're just running running through and doing the beat 'em up thing. Yeah, yeah, survival. Yep. It's called survival. Or, yeah, you know. so like it, it's really cool to see, you know, like uh, what is it, it, what's in essence a tech demo. Yes. Um. And to be able to see, like, the fruition of that, you know, 5, 10, mm -hmm. 20 years later. Because, like, my first VR experience was in the 90s. Mm -hmm. Playing Duke Nukem 3D at, uh, like, some, like, weird arcade, like, uh, funhouse kind of place. Where, you know, like, they'd have the ballroom and, and all that sort of shit and laser tag and whatnot. But they had Duke Nukem in VR, and I was like, I need this. There's actually a program that you that I have, which I haven't messed around with too much. They'll take almost any first-person game and do a, a, a soft convert to VR, and they they designed it around GTA V, which is like, like that's insane. Um, and it's weird, like, the, the, the small things that can be done... I'm in this room when I do VR. There's carpet under my feet. I know the bounds of the room very well. And yet, when I played Portal in VR, and I transport up about 30 feet, and I look back, and I look where I was, I get scared and dizzy like I'm going to fall off the fucking thing I'm on. Because I believe it. Like, my brain, like in Kenny Valley, like, it's like, I know I'm not going to fall, but I still think I'm going to. Like, it doesn't, I just got to, I have to close my eyes and just kind of, Remember, I'm on solid ground, and then I'm okay, and I look, I'm like, oh, you know. There's one, there's a program which I own, but I, I cannot bring myself to open. It's a tightrope. It's not a fucking tightrope. Come on, man. There's no way. Uh, there's a video on YouTube somewhere that is awesome, where they put people on a plank, uh, a wooden plank that is surrounded by, like, a gym mat, and like, basically blindfold them, put the VR on them and it's black and they lead them uh, to this plank. They get on the plank and then they turn the program on and they're on what is essentially a tightrope which is like 30, 40 stories up and they fucking freak. And then when they fall off like the, the program, the gyroscope detects even like an inch movement and, and, cr and creates a free fall. And they are freaking out crying and shit. Um, one person I think shit himself. Um, like it's like, cause basically like they put the thing on your blindfold and then they, in the game, take the blindfold off and you're like, ah, you know, like, can you imagine like being that sprung on you? Um, it's crazy. All the stuff. So it's like, it's almost like in many ways with VR, we are experiencing video games over again for the first time, like cornflakes in the nineties. Well, I mean, it's the sort of thing that drew me to video games in the first place, and yeah. it's what keeps me in video games now, is the experiences that, you know, either there's something that I've never experienced before, or it's a concept that's come so far. Like, um, I was playing uh, Smash TV with a friend today. Mm -hmm. Like the the arcade version, yes. It, on the uh, like Midway collection for PS3, mm -hmm. and I love twin stick shooters. 
Um, but going back, it's like, okay, we'll play to the first boss and then I'm good. Right. Because twin stick shooters now are fucking phenomenal. Yes. Um, like the, uh, I mean, I know most people like the, the first person games, but the twin stick shooter Halo games are amazing. Mm-hmm. They're so good. And, and so it, you know, it's it's giving me that experience all over again with the technology to make it that much better. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I can't wait to see what games are going to be like 10, 20, 30 years in the future. That's right. Because you know I'm always looking for those two core experiences the stuff they could never do before and the stuff they can do so much better now. Absolutely. And I think that's part of why like the, the, the flat display is never going to go away. Um, or at least a, a, a solid, you know, display is never going to go away. Um, and v- I think VR is, is, is it, like, it, are they two separate things? Yes. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like, we're getting to that point where these two things can exist and start providing similar but very different experiences. Like, you no longer have to, like, try to shoot for what VR is doing on a display because VR's got that covered. Now you can just focus on having the best possible flat or curved panel experience you can possibly have. And if you want to go with a full 360 VR, you can just go do that now. Um, Yep. And... Yeah, and I mean, one big thing about that is just, you know, like, the ability to have resolutions that mm-hmm. will give you that experience, because you can't get that in, like, 256 by 256 pixels. You right. just can't. You really can't. Um, and, you know, like, just going back to, like, the whole cartoons, being able to control cartoons. I love these Telltale games. Mm-hmm. Because you're controlling, controlling cartoon. cartoon. Yep. Um, I've been playing the uh, the Tales from the Borderlands. Oh, sure. And as you know, like a huge fan of the Borderlands series, as a fan of cartoons and as a fan of video games in general, like the story and the experience is something that I've never felt before. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it's that good, and yeah. you know everybody's everybody's experience may vary, but right. it, it, it's it's just amazing to be able to see and experience these things now that in the past were just a dream. Yep, and I, I feel like I, I think that ultimately is kind of the perspective that our generation is always going to have. Is like we remember when. In our, in our lifetime now, video games have gotten to a point where you're in it now. Like yep. we've we've gone from the most abstract of abstract to this other thing, and it, we will continue to see it evolve. And I think that's the coolest thing. Um, so, at the risk of of cutting us both off because we're hitting close to two hours or two hours, if you will. Um, <laughs> We need to at least cut off this episode here because we've gone so far, but we didn't ever talk about truly like discuss the the 
infancy of video games beyond Pong, which itself was born in an arcade. We could talk arcade for another two hours, and we will. We will. Just not on this episode. Well, yeah, I mean, like, this this was a great overview of everything. Yes. You know, like, to give people as concise at two hours of, you know, like, what we've experienced and why things are so good. Exactly. Because despite what a lot of people will say about every single game... Games are fucking amazing. They absolutely are. And so are you, my friend. Where can people find you? Uh, mostly uh, on YouTube. Like I said, uh, at the end of this month, I'm going to have uh, 150 SNES Thrash remixes. Mm-hmm. Um, I also post weird shit on Twitter. That's true. Um, yeah, go to either of those. It's a good time. Cool. So thanks for being here. We'll see you yeah, next and I'm time. Skeletroy on everything, so if you find a Skeletroy anywhere, it's probably me. Including porn. I'm kidding. I'm not porn. Maybe, <laughs> but maybe. You never know. You never know. So, guys, that's going to do it for What's in Grind's Head. This episode, we'll see you next time. Cheers.